one thing that I go back from a hiring standpoint is really ask like, why this product? Why this mission? Like, why are you so deeply passionate? Because that is what's important. I think at the end of the day, you, you need to have smart, capable, resilient people, but you need to have people that are really, really driven on this particular problem. And I think that in some cases that wasn't the case and that became evident. I think the biggest piece that I do is just trust my gut more, you know, make the hard decisions and, and move on. And I'm not going to make the right decisions every time, nor have I, but um, I think that's important. Behind the scenes, it was a small group of people that were doing everything. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I want to know how this insane growth actually happened. What are you doing when no one's around, no one's looking? Are you just showing up and doing the minimum? Or are you approaching it like a pro? To be a student of the game. All right, go-to-market listeners. This episode is brought to you by Postal. Postal allows you to reach the signature line faster. It is the best offline solution to help delight your prospects with gifts, direct mail, and branded swag. And the team told me, if you go to postal.com slash GTM to request a demo, they will send you the best, I'm talking the best, chocolate chip cookies you've ever tasted. So if you're looking to close deals faster, looking to build pipeline, and looking to interact with just an incredible team and technology, go to postal.com slash GTM and show your love. Welcome, welcome to the GTM pod. Thank you, as always, for hanging out with us. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I get to catch up with someone who I haven't talked to in, in a long time. So some of these sessions are just me uh, hanging out with a great founder, uh, friend, and, and catching up, and we just happen to hit hit record on these. So it, it'll be a fun conversation. And hopefully you leave uh, with some inspiration, some stories, and some tactical advice to help you scale your company. I am joined by Mel Filet at Mel. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here too. And yeah, it's been, we, I think I joined one of the first GTM podcasts like 18 months ago. So excited to be back. Absolutely. We're, we're pumped to have you back. And, uh, yeah, the the podcast has grown a lot uh, since since then, so it's uh, it's been really cool. Yeah, there's there's so much I want to dive into with you, but uh, before we get into it, and I'll I'll run through a bio for the listeners. How have you been? How's the how's the summer going? I've been good. I've been good. I feel like you know, I mean, everyone right now is operating under difficult conditions in an environment, but it feels like we're getting our footing. And you know, for me as a CEO, that allows me to really kind of get out of working in the business into on the business. And that's really where I love spending my time and really thinking through strategy and innovation and markets. And actually I was able to take the week off last week, um, which I think is important for all of us to be able to take a little bit of time off. I ended up hurting my foot, so not ideal, but you know, uh, it's, it still is a, a great way to kind of just reset for, for, for the second half this year. So incredibly important. And even more so as a leader, right? You have all of these people now looking to you. So if you don't set the precedent of, hey, it's okay to take time off, you need to take time off, take care of your mental health, your physical health, you know, it all stems from from the top. Do you, do you feel that pressure sometimes that people are, are looking to you as the example? A hundred percent. And honestly, like I'm... <laughs> very self-aware that I'm a complete workaholic. Uh, I joke in all aspects of my life, like I'm very all in person. And so it's easy for me to just keep going, keep going and not stop. And I get energized and joy from solving problems. And so Mm -hmm. it's easy to just 
keep going. But sometimes you realize that when you take a step back, you're able to see problems on a whole different level. And I found that every time I've taken, you know, four or five days, like I remember three years back or so, I took my first like proper, like five day road trip. And I actually went on a solo road trip through Utah and Colorado. So I had a lot of thinking space and came back and I'm like, we need to kill our freemium product. Like it was just every indication, all the data, all the waste was clearly not productive for our our go to market. But when you're in the business, it's easy to kind of trick your mind into thinking, well, like, oh, well, this number went up slightly this week. So maybe it is working. But when you take a step back, and you're able to really look at the problem from a whole new lens, it just um, is always really helpful. And that was really my goal with this week, right? How do I spend, I will spend about half the week really just trying to decompress and enjoy time with my uh, with my partner, but then the other half, I was more kind of using that as reflection time on the business um, mm-hmm. and being able to share those learnings with the team and being able to share the fun things I did on my vacation too uh, with the team mm-hmm. to encourage them that, you know, I want to track people that love what they do, that love solving hard problems, that love working hard, but that also recognize that, you know, if you want to work hard, you need to put some play in there and, and allow your mind to to rest and feel re-energized. So. Absolutely. So incredibly important. I spent some time in Bali recently, just uh, hanging out, solo, solo tripping around and doing a lot of thinking and came back insanely refreshed. And, and it's also just so gratifying to come back and be like, wow, I've built a life and a business that I'm really pumped to get back to. And you know, 100%. you have this like new appreciation. Yeah. 100%. You need, you need those moments to really appreciate. Yeah. Like, and also, you know, especially when times are more difficult, you know, to realize like how special of an opportunity it is that you get to do what you do every day and put mm-hmm. your, you know, life's work into it. So I completely agree. And, and on the, the solo trip piece, that's something I haven't prioritized enough um, mm-hmm. recently, but I listened to a podcast. I'm blinking on, oh, it was, um, I'm blinking on his name, the guy from 20 BC. Who interviews Harry Stebbings? Harry Stebbings. Harry Stebbings. Yeah. Yeah. He interviewed uh, Scott something. He's Justin Bieber's. He was like the guy that discovered Justin Bieber. Did you listen yeah, to that yeah, episode? Yeah. I, I haven't, but I know who you're, you're referencing. Oh, yeah. you you have to listen to it. And anyone that he had such great life lessons in it, but he talked about like his number one piece of life advice is the importance of taking one week a year for yourself to do something solo, like a, to reset your mind, to refocus your priorities, to realign your goals. And so it, it's inspired me to try and carve out time at some point in the next uh, nine months or so to, to find that. So I'm glad that you got, you got time to do that. So important. Realign, rediscover. And also it's when you're solo, you're also forced to meet new people and you interact with them. And it's the people that have known you for a long time. They're kind of like a, a mirror, right? But they know all of this about you versus like people you just meet, they just see you for like the evolution of where you're at right there. And it's this really interesting feeling of you can kind of see it like, oh, I'm just, you know, Scott the human, not Scott with like a GTM fund and all this stuff. And you hundred percent. Um, I love it. All right. So I guess I got to do uh, a bio before we just we <laughs> keep rolling. Um, you're always super easy to talk to so we can get we can get rocking. But um, so Mel is the CEO and founder of Speckit. Uh, Speckit is a just in time platform that is really transforming how we learn at work. Uh, definitely urge everyone to, to check it out. And what Speckit does is it meets reps with the process guidance, enablement and knowledge they need right when they need it. Uh, in their natural workflow uh, to help them be more efficient, drive more revenue, 
and eliminate all that friction of change. As leaders, if we're listening to this, we all know how difficult it is to drive any sort of change throughout an organization. Um, and Speckett's going to able enable you to do that in an easier way, um, which is what we all want. Personally, she's also Forbes 30 under 30 recipient. So congrats uh, on that. Uh, a top 100 female entrepreneur to watch. Been featured across Forbes, Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Business Insider, all the most incredible you know, syndication platforms and co-founded Speckit uh, with Zari, literally used now by like all the big players. So Uber Freight, Snowflake, Southwest Airlines, Invesco has raised, I think it's 60 million now? Yeah, 60 million over the last few years. Wow. Wow. By very notable investors. Um, I'll throw a GTM fund in there, but uh, Craft of course, Ventures, of course. Uh, Operator Collective, Bonfire, Foundry, Renegade, Matchstick, Incredible investors, incredible backers. You built such an amazing team, and uh, it's just been really cool to watch watch the growth. So, congrats on everything. Is there anything I missed there? No, I think you you got the marketing blurb. I, it's funny. I feel like the Forbes under thirty under thirty, the entrepreneur with recent media. I think sometimes it's better to, to skip those, but <laughs> the the marketing team slips those slips those in. Uh, but but anyway, no, I think you I think you think you also did a great recap of what Speckett does. So thank you for that. Of course, of course. Um, okay, so what I want to dive into, and it's it's a a problem that I think a lot of companies are are experiencing right now. Uh, as you know, I think it's a bit of a byproduct of like AI, and there's a lot of new entrants in different categories coming up. Uh, and you know, when I look at at Speckit, you kind of play in the middle of a few different categories and you're kind of disrupting a few of them uh, that have some larger incumbents. Um, how has that kind of affected your go-to-market playbook? I, I imagine it does force you to really like level up and sometimes battle on multiple fronts. Great question. Um, so just taking a step back for listeners that aren't quite as familiar with Speckit, um, Ultimately, you know, I started Speckit really driven by my own experience working at a high growth tech technology company. I was overseeing a mix of operations, go to market teams, um, and ultimately was kind of handed the responsibility of managing our failed Salesforce implementation and kind of all of our internal tools. And we had all the common challenges that every startup has, right? How do we get new hires ramped quickly? We've got documentation in all these different places. You know, our sales playbook was this like 50 page doc that like, you know, was updated sparingly. And then we were always struggling with how do we communicate those changes to the team and our business was launching new products and initiatives. And so change was constant. It was a huge pain. And like, we were just feeling all the consequences of that, right? Bringing on new people that weren't producing, um, I was spending hours with our exec team preparing for board meetings because our forecasts were all off because our data in Salesforce wasn't reliable. It was hard to figure out what was working, what was not in the business. There was a lot of just general frustration because there was lots of noise and slack and email and just like, it just felt like there was just this general inefficiency. And I was like, I just wish people like we could solve for making sure that people knew what they needed to know to do their jobs, like at the most simplest of forms. Um, and Long story short, I was tasked with solving that problem ultimately for the company uh, in my role of kind of biz op slash chief of staff. And I didn't have a background in enablement. I didn't have a background in learning design. For context, I started the company when I was 25. So my career prior to that was you know, somewhat limited. 
Um, and so I went into, you know, looking for a solution to eyes wide open. Uh, and, you know, and doing a few Google queries, like how do we sell for training and knowledge and adoption, tool processes, change management. I ended up doing basically 30 different demos of different categories of tools. Um, and they were really across four different categories of software. Um, the first one was what you call digital adoption platforms. Uh, those are tools uh, that are really designed to help you learn how to navigate the UIs of technology, really. Um, and I found those tools really interesting as we thought about our technology challenge, right? We were constantly making changes to Salesforce and people never knew where they needed to go and what they needed to do. But most of the tools on the market at that point were very technology heavy, meaning that I'd need developers and all these resources to make them happen. I was like, okay, this solves a sliver of my problem, but it's going to take a lot of work. Then I looked at knowledge management solutions, right? Most of these were destinations with some few exceptions like Guru that I think is a phenomenal tool that allowed you to search for information and kind of like your objection handling and things like that in the flow somewhat. And so I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. I wish I could kind of get a hybrid of these different tools. And then I was like, but even with these, I still can't confirm people have done the work. I can't assess. I'm still somewhat in the dark. And that brought me down the route of LMS platforms. And I'm like, okay, I get the value of being able to assess and assign, but who's going to have the time to create all these long courses? Our business was just changing way too fast for us to be able to create courses and I just, I know enough about human psychology and now I've become obsessed with, with researching everything about learning, but like people just don't like their LMSs. And, and I found that that market had over 800 platforms yet. There's no company ever that's like, we love our LMS. Like I have yet to hear a rep mm-hmm. say how much they love their learning platform. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, but I like the ability to like assess and assign. Um, and then there were content management platforms, right. That were all about like, Hey, You've got these resources that marketing's creating, and you've got these resources that you you want to send in the in the buying cycle, but they're not as accessible. And I'm like, hold up, <laughs> taking a step back, you're telling me that if I want to solve this simple problem of knowledge and training and content, which is at the at the end of the day, it's just information to do your jobs. I now need to buy four different tools that are not integrated, by the way. So it's like content in four different places when we can't even keep the content we have, then we're still going to have Google Drive and Slack. And I'm like, this is just insane. And I started just talking to to people. And every time I brought up the subject, everyone was like, yeah, it's a huge pain point. And so I took a step back and I was like, okay, what all these platforms have in common is content. What if we could take inspiration from what's really valuable, that top 20, 30% of features that is really unique and valuable to those different platforms because all of them have a lot of common, right? You can search, you can organize, you can version control. Like you've got kind of like the, every content tools has that. And then it just feel, felt like these platforms had like 30% of features that were kind of like unique. And I'm like, I see a future where if there was one platform that allowed you to repurpose and reuse content, the same content that you use during onboarding, you could, prep, let's say a case study or something similar, you could then walk someone through if you're trying to train someone on like, selling to a CRO. It's like, hey, here's what you need to know about CROs. Here's a case study of us selling to a CRO. Here's a one pager you can send them. And that was repurposed both for onboarding as well as in the buying cycle, et cetera. And so I saw a room to ultimately an opportunity to consolidate. Um, now the question is, how do you go to market around that? Mm-hmm. And in looking at the space, um, the, the problem I felt the most intimately was this one around technology adoption and change management and process. Uh, 
probably driven by my background in BizOps and being responsible for our data and forecasting at the company and never being able to get the right answers because everyone on our team had their own definition of our stages and amounts and close dates. Um, and so in looking at that space, I was like, okay, first I want to solve that problem because we were in a, at a time, you know, I think six years ago where tech was massively getting adopted in companies, right? That was like really this, the, the mass proliferation of, of SaaS started around that time where companies were buying tons of tools and the problem was only getting bigger. And so that's really where we focused our energy. Now, from a go-to-market, I went more narrow. I was like, the one place that makes sense to start was Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm. Largest CRM platform, hundreds of thousands of companies use it. Every company struggles with those challenges. Um, and so I really started there and I wanted to remove a lot of the manual effort and have a very differentiated position in the market. And so we built a really one of a kind still to this day integration that allows you to track changes that you're making to Salesforce. Like, oh, our change, our stages were renamed, which is what everyone's doing right now, redoing their stages, redoing their sales process. How can you kind of track those changes so that your documentation stays up to date? And so, you know, really went to market, super narrow, focused on the problem of Salesforce adoption. Um, And for the first few years, that kind of like slowly got us off the ground. um, And that's when we really started taking off uh, at the beginning of 2021 when everyone went remote, right? Mm -hmm. Because now every company that was about to launch a major transformation, right, was going to be struggling. Now, what was interesting is my co-founder and I, when we started the company, were both of the same opinion that like, hey, tech is being sold to by every other company under the sun. Let's focus on all these other organizations that are not being sold to, right? If you know anything about Salesforce, their .org arm, for example, which is their nonprofit and education arm, that one's massive. So like who's selling to those organizations and helping them through these transformations? Um, Selling to like more traditional enterprises, right? Financial institutions that were like Salesforce, investing in Salesforce was like the biggest investment they were making in their like last 10 years and going to really be a catalyst for, for their step into innovation. And so we really started talk, selling to this underserved section of the market that no one was selling to. And, and that really got us off the ground. But when 2021 came and everyone went, oh no, 2020, excuse me, pandemic already three years ago, when everyone went remote during the pandemic and everyone was focused on like, how do we make people efficient remote? And then the huge great resignation started and everyone started hiring. All of a sudden, like every company under the sun, particular in tech was trying to hire like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we really, you know, looking back, probably grasped on that opportunity a little bit more excitedly than we should have given the environment right now. And we really shifted all of our go-to-market to um, to selling it to tech companies because that's where we were seeing so much demand and natural, uh, natural uh, fit. And then uh, we started going really broad with our messaging. And that's really where we made some mistakes, right? Just using the word enablement just opens a can of worms because there are so many other platforms out there that use it. And so you know, looking back, I think that's where we're, we felt a bit of the pains of that over the last year, which was we sold to a lot of tech companies that were hiring like crazy, but that didn't necessarily have the resources they needed to really make sense of the five different platforms that they bought at the time. Um, and so we went really, really wide. And long story short, at the end of last year, I took a step back. I was looking at our at our data. I was looking at our healthy customers, our unhealthy customers. I was looking at the market and I'm like, pause. <laughs> We've gone mm-hmm. too wide our close rates had dropped because we were competing you know, against LMSs when we're, we're not an LMS. We don't have all the capabilities of event integrations and stuff. And so we just got, frankly, distracted from a go-to-market and went really wide. And so at the beginning of this year, I really refocused. I'm like, okay, 
And there's another piece here, which is the product readiness, which we can speak to a little bit more. But we took a step back and we went back to our roots. We were like, okay, before we intentionally expand, let's go back to where we can do things the right way, where we can serve those customers. Let's refocus our our ICP, our go-to-market, and then intentionally start expanding across different personas and industries uh, when we're ready to. So that's kind of like the the high level. Um, and from a product standpoint, we really focused first on kind of the the two markets that best fit that adoption problem, which was more on the kind of knowledge and and and, and DAP industry. Great, great breakdown. So what I'm kind of like hearing is, you know, what worked was when you sort of narrowed the the playing field and really focused yeah. on one ICP, one problem at a time. Although you can do multiple things, you really yeah. hone in on that. Focus all the messaging go where people aren't. I think it's so, it's easy to get caught up on like, oh, there's this trend happening. Like, let's jump on this trend. There's a million people in tech getting onboarded. Like, let's go solve that. Whereas, you know, you mentioned going after like .org. No one is playing there. There's also so many non-sexy industries that so much SaaS players don't don't look at. There's like financial services, insurance, some of these like, that are are really like green greenfield. So that sounds like something that that both worked for you, and then listening to that market pull, uh, but then not getting too over your skis in that market pull because it's it, yeah. it it can pull you and almost misguide you into putting too many resources in it, and then you're you're spread too thin and and forced to kind of battle it out in in multiple sections. And I think the biggest piece is it's okay. I think to solve different problems and to go wide and, and we will eventually be, be going back to market, but you need to have a very intentional strategy around it, right? Mm-hmm. It's here's specifically how we solve these use cases, not here's our product. It can do all these things. So we're going to talk to all these people. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did the first time we, we, we went to market around that. And that's where I think the struggle came versus mm-hmm. now, as we think about our go to market in the future, it's like, okay, here are the very specific ways that Speckit solves these problems. And so let's build our go-to-market, our demo flows, our CS motions around these specific use, case, use cases and personas and how we expand. And so I think you can go wider than just a very, very new ICP focus, but it needs to be very intentional in how you do that. And that was what was lacking when we kind of went too broad too fast and got caught up in the massive amount of scaling and, and demand that was happening. Um, yeah. and just one more note on the, on the .org piece, since you brought it up again, it's always great to know that you're having an impact on any organization, but mm-hmm. I can tell you, especially when times are difficult, getting on the phone with your customers, like for us, the CDC foundation, the national network of abortions, the children's cancer Institute in Australia, the, um, ALS association for these organizations, like hearing the kind of impact you can have on them because they don't have all the tools, right? They have like Salesforce and the kind of impact because we are able to solve a lot of different use cases, right? We might go in narrowly focused on Salesforce adoption, but once they realize the power, they expand, it's a very real impact we're having on their team. And that's just something that, you know, I think helps you as a founder go back to like why you're doing things, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to hear those stories and those impacts. And it's not to say you can't hear that across any company, but there's just something special about uh, nonprofits uh, when you can't have that impact. So just for what it's worth. Yeah. No, I, I imagine that would be incredibly gratifying and, and fill up your cup, particularly on those those tough days. It's like we, we're creating technology that not only improves business outcomes, but these are 
also like improving lives like in in the real world um which is yeah. which is really cool which is technology at its best i think um Okay, I want to shift gears a little bit um, and get to kind of story time. Uh, I know you had uh, a bit of a crazy summer last summer, so I want to take you in a time machine and transport you back to that. <laughs> I'm sure it was a hectic time, so we don't have to stay there too long. Don't worry, we'll we'll, we'll get you back. Um, but yeah, you you basically stepped in as CTO, uh, which to me sounds absolutely terrifying and I would love for you to just walk me through that time period and we'll, we'll dissect it a little bit. Yeah. So as a bit of context, um, you know, during, and I think it's important background. So during the years that we were scaling really fast, right? 2020, 2021, all the growth, all the craze, et cetera. Um, you know, candidly, I think looking back, one of the mistakes I made is that I was so focused on pipeline and growing revenue and hiring. And we were in an environment where companies were expanding so naturally, needing more licenses that I kind of dropped the ball, frankly, on customer and product um, in terms of where my focus was. And in our objectives that I set to really take on as much market as we could, we built a lot of features. And candidly, looking back, we launched a lot of them as kind of MVPs versus features that we were like, heck yes, we are really proud of this. And that caught up with us. That caught up with us from a product quality standpoint, right? It starts with little paper slices here and there um, and some larger issues. And so January last year, we kind of came to a tipping point where like we were just, we, I mean, if you go back, like we had so much customer love and we still do. But like customers were like shouting and like they like the kind of excitement and stories that we were hearing was just amazing. And look, it started slowing down a bit and we started get, having more conversations around like, well, we need this and we need this and this isn't working quite as well as we'd like it to. And like, okay, you guys have a rich text tape editor, but you, we can't do tables. And so we're copying, pasting tables from other documents. Like there was just all these imperfections, right? And anyone that works in technology knows that one, that's a natural part of the evolution, right? You, you As you kind of build and build and build. Um, but I think we'd gotten a bit distracted in that process with such a lens on growth versus really sticking to um, our uh, first investor and board member, Brett, and uh, a mentor of mine, what he calls protecting the kernel, right? Making sure that your core product, your core differentiation is really, really strong. And so that was kind of like leading up to a time where like, so we were starting to just have a lot more quality issues. Um, this is January last year. And at the same time, my co-founder, Zari, who we started the company, well, six years ago, um, we had worked together previously. Her and I had a phenomenal partnership. She, unfortunately, over the 18 months leading up to that, went through a lot of really difficult personal times, loss, divorce, and, and other things. And so she was at the point where she was like, I just... I need to take a step back because it's just no longer serving the company right now because she just had gone through so much trauma. I've never seen someone in my life or heard of anyone in my life go through the kind of pain that she went through. And so she had to take a step back, which was really difficult um, back in May last year. Um, and that was when I basically was you now handed the responsibility to both go find a CTO uh, to solve our problems and, uh, right at the same time as our economy started to crash. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. coming off of lots of growth, lots of success, lots of excitement. And so it was a really difficult period, right? We had to restructure the business to prepare for 
what we now know was going to be a difficult season ahead. And we were fortunate to have investors that, you know, saw that coming and were able to really guide us through that process. But having to deal with that, plus now taking over a CTO and frankly, diving into the data and customers in the way that I used to in the first couple of years, but frankly, hadn't as much in the year prior, and really recognizing like, wow, we have a lot more of these little imperfections and bugs than, than I'd realized. And so, um, and at that point, I didn't know what kind of CTO I needed, right? Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't clear on like, where are, where, what were our problems? And what kind of, did I need someone that was like, really, really architect type of CTO? Did I need someone that was really good at like, building efficiency and engineering teams? Did I need someone that was more of like that innovator that was going to be able to bring in AI and ML and all the great things? And so um, I didn't move on it immediately. I took a step back and I took the role of CTO and I, we have teams in Pakistan as well in the US. And so I was flying back and forth and, and meeting with the teams really trying to get clear on, you know, where were we having challenges? Where were we not? I hit pause entirely on innovation and I called it return to fundamentals. And we basically outlined a 12 month roadmap of here are all the key areas in our product that I wanted to get to a place where I wanted to get up on stage and brag about them. Mm-hmm. Partly because I saw AI coming as well. And I knew that, you know, as you think about a platform like Speckit and really any content platform is so right for AI. There is yeah. so much potential. But I didn't want to be one of those companies that just slapped AI on a shaky foundation. And so we really took a step back and we like rebuilt and refactored a lot of our core, core pieces, our search, right? Our editing and content experience, our organization, our architecture, our reporting, our analytics, like all the things that were going to be ultimately inputs into AI. Um, and so now fast forward, we've turned the page on almost all that. And it's been amazing being able to get all that feedback from customers. And like now it's like the, our weekly active usage has gone up by th- over 30% just in the last six months despite having, you know, churned some licenses as well. So we're seeing a lot more usage and a lot more adoption. We had to reset a lot across the business, Um, you know, even, and I know this isn't unique to us, but, you know, when you're in growth mode, it's easy to not realize where you have gaps. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I realized that we had gaps in a lot of places in the way that we were training our customers on the product, on how we were serving them on uh, from a success standpoint. And so there was a lot of kind of resetting and taking a step back and getting the fundamentals right. Um, and during that summer of kind of rejiggering and reorging and, um, searching for the right CTL, I ultimately found it. And actually GTM fund was the one that introduced me to Paul, uh, and Paul, <laughs> who's that. our, who's our head of, swear our, I didn't mean to tee that one up, but you know, <laughs> no, no, but it's, but it's true. And it's funny yeah. because he's the first person I talked to you guys introduced, you guys were one of the first funds that I said, Hey, I'm going to start looking for this. I haven't even started the search yet. And so I talked to him at the very beginning and I'm like, wait, pause. I need to like get clear on what I need. And he, and, and he was in transition too, but we spent a few months, you know, getting to know each other, getting to know the problem space. He had familiarity with it coming from Guru, um, at least in, in one of the lenses that we solve. And so now fast forward, like we are in a place that I'm very, 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 very proud of looking back, but it was definitely a, a very humbling experience um, mm-hmm. in many facets because as a first time founder and CEO, like, you know, it's, it's hard no matter what. <laughs> It's, mm-hmm. it's just hard. Um, but, you know, trying to do that through an economy that, you know, I had an experience prior um, mm-hmm. that many of our leaders, many of our teams had. And, and so trying to show up for the team in a time of uncertainty when there's a lot of internal things that needed fixed, like there was just a lot of, of commotion and chaos. And so 
Um, it was hard. There's definitely things looking back that I do differently, but it was a really great experience. And frankly, it was the best way for me to get like really deep on the engineering front and product and mm -hmm. really understand our processes and our architecture and the domain so that, you know, ultimately I think the role of the CEO is to ideally work more on the business and lead the strategy and lead the exec team and set goals. But the reality oftentimes is quite different, right? At the end of the day, I think my biggest role is to tackle our biggest problems. And so, mm -hmm. you know, by quarter, by sometimes multiple quarters, like I really focus my energy and attention in certain areas. In the first few years, originally a little bit more on the customer side, but I'd really been focusing on sales and marketing. I was so active on LinkedIn and we were seeing a ton of, you know, demand and, and I loved doing that. And I really became knowledgeable in areas like SEO and, and other things. Um, but I hadn't gone that deep in R&D. And I think that now I feel a lot more confident in being able to have the kind of conversations that I need to be having with these seasoned executives that we've brought on to, to help solve those problems. So I think it's part of the natural process of being a CEO, but I think it's also just an invaluable learning experience to be able to actually hold that responsibility myself. Absolutely. I mean, it's just going to make you an even better CEO and, and leader, you know, having full, deep, deep insight into all areas of the business, you know, the, the R&D side. I think, you know, a lot of CEOs and founders who are more GTM focused, you know, they get more and more detached from the product over the years and get more attached to like the story and they get really good at the story, but you know, they, they can lose sight. So I think, you know, on, on a whole, um, you know, just the resilience you've, you've shown and popped out the other side and, you know, weekly active users up 33% is incredible. So congratulations. My question goes before we go, like maybe what you would do differently is I'm always curious because I know we play an intense game, whether it's founding companies or VC. Um, you have first your partners in a lot of pain, which I'm sure was super difficult. You know, you've you have to take the reins as a CTO. The economy is breaking down. You are having to revamp a lot of your your product. How did you personally make sure that you were able to mentally show up for your team? I imagine that was very very difficult, just from like. A personal level it was difficult um and there's looking back things that i would do differently for sure um i think i would have taken more time to more time to think more time to strategize i think you know there's definitely at times where i was probably more reactive and emotional that i would have liked to i don't have a great answer because it was just hard <laughs> it was it was just hard i think what i would do differently is one really making the hard decisions faster um mm -hmm. as a business and trusting my gut and instinct. I think looking back, the times that I waited on making certain decisions, the times where I saw yellow flags in the business and our data, and I was like, okay, I've got 10 red flags over here. Let me go focus over here first. That then became another red flag. So I think that I trust myself a little bit more, frankly, in the process um, mm -hmm. and just make the hard decisions faster, especially when it comes to people at all levels in the business, um, right? At the end of the day, I think a lot of teams hired um, quickly during 2021 and a lot of hiring practices that we now know are really, really important. You know, we skip steps and it's because, you know, there was such competition to hire people that 
you know, people had great backgrounds. And I think we've hired really well overall, but there were definitely people that, you know, weren't the right fits. And partly it's because, you know, they had worked primarily at large organizations, for example, and they were excited by the excitement of a startup. And for many years, if you were following, that was the only thing that you saw, right? Um, And so you're excited by all the roses and ponies and the funny announcements and all that stuff. And that's actually why I've never shared our valuation with our team um, or publicly, because I don't want that to be something that people focus on because frankly, the last 12 months have told us that it doesn't really mean anything. One thing that I'd go back from a hiring standpoint, is really ask like, why this product? Why this mission? Like, why are you so deeply passionate? Because that is what's important. I think at the end of the day, you, you need to have smart, capable, resilient people, but you need to have people that are really, really driven on this particular problem. And I think that in some cases that wasn't the case and that became evident, you know, when things got tougher, when those transitions happened, that some individuals, you know, were, were just not the right fit. And I think in trying to make things work, especially at the IC level, right? You don't want to performance manage people out. You don't want to sometimes acknowledge just that like this person is great, but it's just, we're just not the right fit for them. And so I, I would just make the hard decisions faster because when I make the hard decisions faster, I set the tone for our leaders too, for our managers too, and everyone else. And that isn't just applicable to hiring, but it's applicable to every part of the business. Um, and I think there were so many decisions that had to be made. There were so many things that needed to be addressed that I delayed some of those. Our leaders delayed some of those and, and those have consequences. So I think the biggest piece that I do is just trust my gut more, you know, make the hard decisions and, and move on. And I'm not going to make the right decisions every time, nor have I, but um, I think that's important. That's excellent advice for all the founders and leaders listening. Sometimes it is about speed and, and you'll get one in 10 decisions wrong. But, you know, even if you're making a lot of decisions, you're also getting more data and input to inform your next decision. So your next, over time, you're going to start making more right decisions because you have more data to pull from. You know, it's this interesting like a loop. And I actually love your initial answer where you said, I don't have a good answer. It was just fucking hard. And sometimes it's just <laughs> fucking hard. And, it and that's it. it and I think a lot of us during peacetime when everything was great for, you know, the last almost decade in software that we we assumed like something was wrong if things were hard. And like, no, th- sometimes things are just hard and you have to find a way to continue going. So, And I really believe that you become a better company for it you grow so much as individuals. And that's what we've had to encourage the team. Like it is a harder selling environment. It is really, really, really hard to be in CS today, right? Everything is being scrutinized in ways that many individuals on our team had never been trained on how to not just, and we'd hired a lot of experienced people, but you know, it was just different conditions of the environment. So you had to start from ground zero with some of these teams to really train them on like, okay, how do you go talk to the CFO as a CSM and have those conversations? When prior to that, you had five levels below that were approving budgets. And so you were just developing great relationships with your champions, and that was fine. How do you multi-thread into accounts, right? So there was just so much training and change and fundamentals that were, that were needed. But the ones that you know really are committed and grow, like it's just been a beautiful thing to watch over the last year, seeing just how some individuals have really, really grown just in ways that, yeah, it's just awesome to watch. And Ultimately, I'm I'm proud of. Makes us all better. All the all the growth and learning comes from the the tough times for sure. All right, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to go to 
a listener question, uh, and I like this one. Uh, it is, what is one piece of advice that you would give your 25-year-old self? And I think it's a perfect question because 25 <laughs> is right when you were starting spec it. That's like a cliche question, but this is like super perfect because that's like day one of, of spec it. What do you tell Mel day one of spec it? <laughs> you have no idea what you're getting into. <laughs> Run, away. Run away. Run <laughs> away. No, no, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage her. I'd encourage her to do it. It's been the best experience of my life by, by far. Um, I think the, the biggest piece is and it's more of a life philosophy that I have, um, you know, kind of goes in line with like this two shall pass, but more so, you know, I think life is meant to go through in kind of seasons or chapters, however you want to think about it. And there are going to be periods of time where like, I think you can have it all, but not all at once. And, you know, being really intentional about where is my personal time, what relationships, what parts of my life am I investing in? alongside Speckett, because at the end of the day, Speckett is my baby. You know, when I started it, I, I didn't have even a, even a partner. Like it was just like, I was all in Zari and I were, you know, two of us against the world and we, we found it amazing people, but you know, it's hard as a 25 year old to have to give up the majority of your social life, right? Not being able to show up for some important moments in life, weddings, you, you name it. And so just accepting that that's just part of life. And, you know, if you're really putting it all into something that's worth it, that you can make it all work and you need to find that balance and integrate that. You just need a reminder every once in a while that like, you can't do it all at once. And just to be intentional that like, oh, I've been neglecting my family for the last few months. Okay. I'm going to refocus my energy here because it's important to not be too, not be so hard on myself when I feel the guilt of like, oh, I've been a terrible daughter and cousin and friend and partner and all the things at once that that can kind of creep up yeah i like the word grace these days you gotta give yourself grace you know it's like you can't you can't be everything to everyone you can't do everything especially if you want to do great things it like there there is a sacrifice but again you're you're totally right it comes in seasons and sometimes you sacrifice one season and then another one you can really show up in a meaningful way. Um, so I love that. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. So final two questions and I keep these always the same. They're pretty vague. So you can take them anywhere you want. Um, first one is kind of a hot take. So what is one thing that founders believe to be true that you think is bullshit or no longer serving us? I'll say founders slash like investors, sometimes team, team members that, you know, spending time on building your brand as a CEO is a complete waste of time when it comes to like press and stuff like that. And that it's a distraction and like, you should just focus on the business and and that's all that matters. And I think there are definitely elements of truth to that. If you wanted to do a speaking tour of America and, and spend all your time there, it's very easy to get distracted. But I will say, you know, the first few years, one, I had no network. I had no one to buy spec at our first 40 customers. I sold myself. I got them myself going to conferences. Like I didn't have buddies that I could call a procurement at companies that could buy your software, uh, which by the way, I, I, that I definitely advise to any founder. Don't have your friends buy your software. That's good advice. Don't have people you know buy your software. Have complete strangers so that you have strangers giving you the real deal and you're not getting false positive feedback from people that you people that you like. This is really good advice. Yeah, you can trick yourself into thinking you have product market fit. They're telling you the wrong, they're, they're sugarcoating their feedback. That That's a big one. I am shocked that investors don't ask that more. How did you get these customers? I have had founders tell me, it's just like, oh yeah, well, my my buddies all bought the software. And, that's how, and I'm like, but that, 
you won't get surprised. Like that's, that's one piece of advice, have complete strangers, because that way you will be held to maximum accountability. And ultimately, it'll give you the feedback that you need to get things right. Um, but anyway, going back to the branding piece, in, in the last year and a half, if anyone used to follow me on LinkedIn, or, or, the, or the second journey, I was very active for the first years. Um, and frankly, it's because it was a huge channel for us. We got a ton of pipeline that way. We got a ton of brand awareness. Um, and it's a combination of thought leadership, et cetera. And frankly, posting on LinkedIn, like it's maybe an hour a week that you spend if you're, if, if you're, you're sharing thoughts. The last year and a half, I literally just had zero time. I had no time. I didn't have the mental bandwidth to cry and be inspirational because I was just solving hard problems. Um, I saw our pipeline drop, like our pipeline inbound in that, from that channel significantly dropped. And, you know, I've talked to a few of our friends of our catalyst and others where they've done a phenomenal job with their thought leadership and like they're attributing a lot of their pipeline to it. And so I think it's more so just, yes, PR, all those things can be a distraction. I wouldn't spend a lot of time on PR, but you know, I think building a brand, like people want to know the, 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 the humans behind the brand. I really believe that behind the products that you're building and I think that the companies that do a really great job of that um, almost all have that gainsight, Nick Meta, right? Salesforce, Mike Benioff. And, and it's scary, you know, frankly, like it's difficult being in the, in the spotlight because there are definitely people that will abuse that and will be hurtful towards you for some of those reasons, especially when things don't work out as well uh, with certain employees. But at the end of the day, I think it's a risk worth taking because it can really drive your business forward if you do it right. It's great. And shout out Mark Cosiglo leading some of that charge at, at Catalyst. I yes. Was talking to him yesterday, actually catching up with him. Uh, and a lot of that, some of that. I did too. Did you? I did too. Nice. Very briefly. Yeah. Like I actually sent him a voice note because he was one of those kind leaders last year when I was going through a lot of challenges that I reached out to and he gave me a lot of advice. He's and the I best. Just, he was on my mind recently. He's phenomenal. I just sent him a voice and I was like, I just want to thank you for just being so kind nice. last year. Um, and we got talking and now we've actually got some really cool, cool stuff we're thinking through. So um, shout out to him. Shout out. Yeah. Mark's, Mark's the man. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Obviously we were super intentional around helping build Manny's brand at, at outreach. And then we, you know, took that learning and, you know, had Anna build a brand and, and it really moved the needle for us in, in a lot of meaningful ways. Um, so absolutely agree. It is tough. It's a balancing act, but there is ways you can scale it, like put the resources that maybe you would put into traditional PR and put that behind your CEO and yeah. executive team. So there is ways to, and, but make it about the brand, exactly. like make yeah. it about like the brand of the company, because if it's just talking about, you know, whatever like you can it's it's important to you know share what you feel like sharing but at the end of the day like be strategic with it mm -hmm. like make it a business intentional process yeah yeah absolutely um okay last question as as we wrap up what is one thing that's working right now that other founders can uh, can copy honestly right now it feels like our exec team is on fire i think we've really increased product momentum and, and a lot you know when you solve all the customer feedback with your with your product, you get a lot of that internal momentum. But it took time for us as an executive team. And, and the biggest piece was like, how do we work well together? And so I would just really recommend to any leader that's listening in right now, where it just feels like things are really, really hard, and it's just hard to get done. And there's constant misalignment, like spend time figuring out like, how do you work well as an executive team? Mm -hmm. And we haven't figured out check the box. I don't th I think it's a it's a constant process. But I think we've developed an environment where we are really comfortable challenging ourselves, um, you know, in our executive meetings and 
really collaborating together and it just makes a world of a difference because, and I'm not going to steal this. I was talking to the CPO, Chief People Officer of Zapier just before this call, but he was talking about how they've been very intentional about that at Zapier. Um, and he said, you know, ultimately the problems that you don't solve at the executive level, what ends up happening is they, they're just really unintentionally delegated to people under the executive team that are much less qualified mm-hmm. to to handle them. And so, you know, really getting clear on that, I think that that is the best thing to to be doing. And going back to the the focus piece, right? Like we've removed a lot of the noise and a lot of the distractions and all the little projects and initiatives that go to supporting. It's like, it's, it's like a, it's like an exponential multiplication that happens when you're like every new, it's not just a project that you're taking on. It's like, Oh, how are we going to market it? How are we going to, you know, there's so many pieces go into it. And so we just said no to a lot of that by refocusing. And that gave us the breathing room while it was hard and had some consequences on pipeline as well to get the fundamentals right in order for us to be able to, you know, really start expanding again, which we're, which we're starting to, which feels good. Absolutely love that uh, framing about decision-makings at the executive level. You know, it's like, and it kind of goes back to what you said. If you don't make those hard decisions fast, those decisions are going to be made. They're just pushed, pushed down. They're pushed down. And, and then someone else is going to attempt to half make the decision um, and might not have the authority or the experience to be making it. Um, that's awesome. Well, Mel, thank you so much for hanging out with me. It's always a blast to chat with you. I appreciate you. I appreciate your openness, um, and your candidness. Uh, I always love when people share the hard parts of building companies and not just the good, good parts. Cause as we've learned over the last little bit, we all learn from the, the hard stuff much more than we do the, the shiny stuff. So thanks for being you. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, and I encourage everyone to go check out Spec. It's an incredible tool. Uh, everyone I know who uses it absolutely loves it. And uh, for all our listeners, thanks for hanging out. And we'll see you next week. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.